I just want to say a thank you on behalf of the pastors. We had a minister's conference here on Monday and Tuesday, and so we get to dialogue with ministers all around the state, and all of them come and say what a welcoming church that you are. There were many here that served as greeters and helped with our audiovisual and lighting. Um, we truly are blessed as pastors to have the opportunity to be involved in your lives as pastors. You're great people. Shelly and I say it all the time. So thank you simply for who you are. You make our jobs easy. You really do. That you have a heart that says, God, I want more of you. If there's anything that's not in alignment with you, I want to correct it. So you make it easy. So thanks for uh, you being who you are. Um, so, uh, so on behalf of us, I'll, I'll talk for Shelly this morning. Usually I get in trouble if I do that. But that's okay. Well, last week, as I, we've been focusing on now for several weeks, a call to the nations, that God blesses his people for the sake of the nations. And now today I want to discuss our call to this nation, to our nation. And that really is a part of our mission as the church. We always have that local and global calling. We need to respond to both. You know, and I've received a lot of questions about the nation, asking about our future. One of those questions Pastor, who should we vote for? In 1774, here's some good advice. John Wesley shared this. He advised Christians to vote for the person they judge most worthy, speak no evil of the person they voted against, and take care their spirits were not sharpened against those that voted on the other side. Doesn't that sound like pretty good Christian advice? I think so. Try to live that out. You know, but much more than the question of voting, here's really the question I'm getting. The question of, Pastor, what are we going to do? Is the church going to survive? That's the question I'm getting. And in a moment, I'm going to give you the longer scriptural answer. But let me first give you the short answer. You might remember this one. Don't freak out. Don't go crazy. Research actually shows, this is really interesting when you look at the studies. It shows the world is safer per capita today than ever before in recorded history. And yet, people are more frightened and fearful. Would you like to know why? It's called the rise of media. The rise of media matches the rise of people's fear. Think about it. There used to be a new show on at night, you know, on a couple of different stations. Now it's 24-7. Media never stops. So if you're living in fear... You're probably watching too much TV and looking at too much social media. That's just my opinion on the matter. So, maybe read your Bible more, watch TV a little bit less. Because when you read God's Word, you look at a victorious God who is everlasting sitting on His throne. Well, Andy Stanley, he gives some great instruction about fear. Let's watch that for a minute. Now, real quick. I want to say something to a couple groups, all right? First, I want to say something to all of you who are 45 years old and older. You don't have to raise your hand, okay? 45 and older. Look up here. Many of you have grown weary and you've lost heart. And the reason is because you have fixed your eyes on a political system. You have fixed your eyes on a political leader. You have fixed your eyes on the good old days. You fixed your eyes on the economy and you are, you are growing weary and you need to knock it off. And I'll tell you why, because you are scaring the children. <laughs> you are. Now look up here, look, look. The generation that's coming along behind us are gonna take their cue from us. And here's the cue we're giving them. 
Oh my goodness, if we don't get the right person in the, in the you know, elected in office, it's the end of the world. If we don't fix the economy, it's the end of the world. If we don't have religious freedom like my mama and my grandmama had religious freedom, it's the end of the world. Oh my goodness, if we don't get the right laws passed, if we don't have the right policies, it's all coming unraveled. Nothing could be further from the truth. Look up here. Government and po government matters, policies matter, but neither of those matter as much as men and women who understand this word. Faith, confidence that God keeps his promises and that nothing can thwart the plans of God. We know this from the Old Testament. We know this from the New Testament. We know this because the most powerful person in Judea, Pilate, looked at Jesus and said, what is truth? Crucify him, game over, it's done, let's move on. And the only reason you know who Pilate is, the only reason you know who Pilate is, is because you know the story of Jesus. Pilate, the governor, becomes a footnote in the story of Jesus. In fact, most of the first century people you know about, you know about because they're part of the story of Jesus. We have nothing to fear. So all of you people over 45, knock it off. You need to model for the next generation that God is in control, God can be trusted, get involved in the political system, get involved in culture, get involved in your society, but you never fix your eyes there, you fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, for those of you who are under 45, especially if you're 20 and 30, look up here. Do not grow weary and lose heart. Do not grow weary and lose heart. And don't fix your eyes on social media and don't fix your eyes on Washington, D.C. and don't fix your eyes on my generation. Look up here. Do not grow weary and do not lose heart because once upon a time, a group of people your age embraced a resurrected savior and embraced the teaching of a resurrected savior and a group of people from your generation that were your age changed the world and they did it through faith and they did it through the behavior connected to faith. Amen. Regardless who's elected, God is still God. He's not shaking. God is not sitting up there wondering what's going to happen next. Writer Colossians tells us that Christ existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. In other words, Jesus holds this world in his hands. So what do we have to worry about? Seriously. We serve a God who is always everywhere. He is bigger and stronger and mightier than any politician or political party. No law can stop the power of God. Whoever winds up occupying the Oval Office will not have more power than the King of Kings. Now, all that being said, I do want to balance that with an understanding. We do have reasons to be concerned about the state of our nation. I'm not ignoring that. Racial tension is high. We've talked a bit about that. Since abortion became legal in 1973, there have been more than 59 million abortions in our country. The United States leads the world in producing pornography. On one website last year, one website, there were over 4 billion hours of porn viewed. One website. Millions of Americans are addicted to prescription painkillers. Police officers are being targeted in our streets. That's got to stop. 
Research indicates the number of Christians in America is decreasing while the number of atheists is going up. America needs help. So the question is, what do we do? What's the answer? Does the church stand by and watch as our nation becomes increasingly evil? Do we start a political party? Do we picket and petition? When a nation has lost its spiritual direction, what should be the response of the church? In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, it was on a spiritual, political roller coaster. It seemed to be an endless cycle. The nation lost a war, and the people were taken captive. In response to captivity, they cried out to God, burned their idols, declared that they would only serve God. God heard their prayers and responded. A time of peace and prosperity followed. God's blessings flowed, and then the people got comfortable, took God's blessings for granted, morality decayed, sexual sin increased, idol worship returned, worship of the one true God faded away. And every time they turned away from God, Israel was defeated by their enemies and taken captive, persecuted and oppressed. And once again, they would return to God, plead for his mercy, and God responded, and peace and prosperity would come again. We see this cycle. And then once again, they would take God's blessings for granted and start the cycle all over. It's kind of depressing when you read the Old Testament. Spiritual sin, moral decay, sexual sin, political corruption, selfish and immoral leaders. Any of that sound familiar? And then King Solomon. People gave sacrificially, and, and Solomon built an elaborate temple to honor the Lord. The dedication of the temple was an amazing outpouring of worship, and Solomon prayed officially, dedicating the temple in that prayer. And here's what he prayed in his prayer. When your people Israel are defeated before the enemy, because they have sinned against you and they have turned again, but if they turn again to you and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them again to the land that you gave to their fathers. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin, when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. It's an interesting prayer. In his prayer, Solomon attributed the challenges Israel continually faced to God's disobedient people. And then God appeared to Solomon in response, and here's what he said, and some of you may be familiar with these verses. He says in 2 Chronicles 7, 12, and 13, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. Did God's enemies... Shut up the heavens so there was no rain? Did they bring the locusts? God did. In response to God's people turning away from him, God said, I need something to draw you back unto myself. I think we miss that sometimes. Now let me pause here for a moment. It's very important to note as we look at this scripture that it's God's people who are being judged. You can't use this passage as an argument against those who do not know God. Because I've seen that happen. This passage is directed towards God people, not people who don't know him. And here's what God says to Solomon. When my people stray from me, my people forget to put their trust in me, 
when things deteriorate to the point that my hand of blessing is removed, then this is what I want you to do. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with this verse. It says, If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. That's it. That was God's answer for Israel then, and I believe it is God's answer for America today. This should be the response of the church to the challenges that we face. This is it, how we will see real, lasting change in America. This is how America becomes great once again. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and heal their land. I would like to really examine this verse, knowing some of you have heard it quoted hundreds of times, but I'm not sure how closely you've really examined and then applied this verse to your life. But here's what we need to know, that this verse is not something we should just hear, but something that we embrace as God's instructions in it. The goal is for our land to be healed. I think we're all on the same page with that. And this is God's pattern for that to happen. God will heal our land as we humble ourselves, pray, seek him, and turn from all evil. Healing depends on God's people. This is the first point. If my people who are called by my name, that's us, that's Christians, that's believers, that's followers of Jesus. And right there at the very beginning, you struggle and say, us, the problem isn't us, it's them, right? That's what we'd like to say. We've made the challenges in our country us versus them. But in this passage, God is not speaking to the lost. He's talking to the church. If you are a follower of Jesus, God's plan for America starts with you. If you want to see things turn around in the U.S., this is the answer. And it fascinates me when people elevate their political opinion over God's word. You can't do that. God's answer might not be what you want to hear, but it's still his answer. This may not be a popular answer, but it's the right answer because it's God's answer. Healing depends on the humility of God's people. My people who are called by my name humble themselves. Wait a minute. Humble ourselves? The word used here for humble means to stop arrogant, self-focused, sinful behavior and to approach God in repentance with a humble attitude. So what does that look like? How do we humble ourselves? First, to humble yourself, acknowledge you don't have all the answers. None of us does. It's arrogant to think that we know how to fix all of the problems. The only answer to suicide is the hope that can be found in Jesus. The answer to addiction is the freedom that only Jesus can bring. The answer to discouragement, depression, and fear is Jesus. The answer to the racial tension in America is Jesus. We must stand together, Christians of all backgrounds and races, because the love of Jesus that unites us is far more powerful than anything that could attempt to divide us. You know, we're a diverse church, and I believe increasingly we're going to see that grow. 
And we have to commit ourselves to not give in to prejudice, anger, violence, or fear. We have to hold hands, love each other as brothers and sisters, called by God, so that we can be the church that the world needs to see. The answer is Jesus. The second way you humble yourself is through worship. That's part of what we do here this morning. Worship acknowledges that all authority and all power belongs to God. Worship acknowledges creator God has the answer, not his humble creation. And when you lift your hands, this is why we lift our hands, just to say, God, I surrender. You know what I don't. You give it to him. That's why we bow our knees in prayer to say, God, we humble ourselves before you. Healing depends on the humility of God's people, but healing also depends on the prayers of God's people. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Not only are we to humble ourselves, God says pray, seek my face. You now remember the end of this verse is, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. That's what we're shooting for here. God's formula for healing America, God's answer is for you and for me to pray. It seems simple, doesn't it? But for some reason, it's often the last thing we do. We seek answers through politics instead of prayer. If we just elect the right people, enact the right laws, then America will be healed. This is what we think sometimes. But when you really stop to think about it, that doesn't make any sense. Because what plagues America is not a political problem. The issue in America is not a social problem or a moral problem. The problem America is facing is not economic. These issues are nothing new. These challenges have been around for a long time. The problem our country is facing is a spiritual problem. We're dealing with an issue of faith. We've got too many unbelieving, non-paying Christians in our churches in America. What makes us think a political answer will solve a spiritual problem. Let me ask a couple of questions. If we elect someone as president who believes exactly as we believe, if every federal, local, and state official all believe like us, will that solve the problems in America? Some might think it would. Imagine we get all the laws right, zoning, tax codes, immigration policies, crime bills, exactly the way we know it ought to be. Will that usher in the kingdom of God? Because that's what we need to see happen. I think we know it won't. Would the hearts of parents turn toward their children? Would all marriages be the model of faithful love? Would greed and pride be legislated out of existence? Would that solve the problem of sexual immorality and addiction? Would prejudice and racism disappear? Of course not. Because no human system has the ability to change the human heart. So if politics isn't the answer, maybe the answer is petitions or picketing. Maybe we need to picket every place or every person who's guilty of evil and petition against everything we can think of. Will that solve it? Will that heal our land? Of course not. No human system has the ability to change the human heart. Jeremiah writes about this. So this is long ago. They knew this then, and we need to understand this now. This is what the Lord says, Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. 
I don't know about you, but I'd rather be blessed than cursed. We try a lot of answers. Angry emails, politics, petitions, picketing, intimidation. We try all those things instead of prayer. Now, don't get me wrong, and I want to be clear here before I get too many angry emails after this message. I'm not against Christians in political office. Do you hear me on that? I'm not. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Christians can and should be involved in city, state, and national leadership. We should. We have God's answer, but as we're involved, we never should mistake our involvement for God's answer as it's laid out in Scripture. We have God's answer clearly revealed in Scripture. We just aren't doing it because prayer is hard work. Prayer takes discipline, time, and effort. Prayer is not seen. It's not glorious. Typically, if you want to ensure a small crowd, announce we're going to spend a night in prayer. Right? Now, let me dote on you a little bit. Last Wednesday, we had a global prayer night. We had 70-plus people here praying for the nations. It was amazing. So I did the math, multiplied by an hour and a half, so we committed over 110 hours of prayer to the nations. And I can't wait to see what God does with those hours of prayer dedicated to the nations. But I also know this. We had fewer people here for that prayer meeting than we usually have here for a Wednesday night. So all that to say, we still have room to grow in this area. Now what I do know is, is if we announced an ice cream social, we wouldn't have room for people to sit. So I am considering combining prayer with ice cream socials. I'll have to work that out. But here's the thing. We have to get back to the foundation of strength and power that is found in prayer. We do a lot of things well. We do as a church. We've got incredible people here, but to be honest, we don't do prayer as well as we should. Prayer is much more difficult than posting another angry Facebook post. Prayer takes focus and effort. Prayer puts the emphasis on God instead of on us. Prayer, there's no glory in prayer. Your ego doesn't get fed in prayer. We know this. Prayer doesn't make you look powerful or important. And this is why there's a reason that God said to humble ourselves before we pray. Because if we don't get humble and acknowledge we don't have the answers, then we will never turn to the Lord in prayer. Perhaps the reason we aren't praying is because we aren't humble. About a month ago, we turned what was our music room into a prayer room, and we did this knowing that for our nation to experience real change, for God to truly heal our land, we as a church had to commit ourselves to prayer. I want to give you a brief video tour of this place, because although some have visited our prayer room, a lot of you have not had yet a chance. So if we can cue that video, I'm just going to narrate it as it goes. And the first thing is, where do you find it? If you're out on Main Street, you simply go down this northeast hallway, and there it is, and you can see it. We zoomed right there. On the door, it's listed as a prayer room. I think we've still got a sign of music room, but we're going to update that. As you go into the prayer room, you go down to the far end, and you can see a map of the Tippecanoe County with a great quote from John Piper, which I can't read from there. My eyes are good, but not that good. Until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayer is for the accomplishment of a wartime mission. We want to commit ourselves to prayer. And then as we turn to the right, you see the scripture that we've talked about this morning. It's the biggest scripture passage we've got in the room because we've, we know we've got to humble ourselves and pray and seek his face. And then we've got an opportunity for you to write out prayer requests, things that you want us to pray over. You just write it on a sheet of paper, and we created something like a western wall where you can roll up that sheet of paper and stick it in that wall and know that your pastors will monthly pray over those and reset the wall and continue to pray over those requests. And then we turn to the nations. 
so we can be committed to praying for the nations. A great quote says, prayer needs no passport, visa, or work permit. There is no such thing as a closed country as far as prayer is concerned. And then you can pray over our cross-cultural ministers. Commit them to the Lord in prayer. And we've got the wall of nations, a great place to pray. We've been given this promise in Psalms, ask of me, I'll give you the nations. Today we're going to be praying that the Lord gives us our nation. And then you turn to the next wall and it's a resource space where you can pick up prayer maps for Middle East, North Africa, for Eurasia, the area with the most unreached people groups. And then we're going to go, this is one of my favorite quotes from a former boss. He said, the Lord's calling us to desperate prayer, prayer that clings to Jesus. We want his presence, not simply an approval of our plans. Isn't that what we want in prayer? We need the presence of Jesus. And then we've got a wall to celebrate because we don't want to just take before the Lord things we want to pray about. We always want to take time to celebrate and pray and, and praise and be thankful for what God is doing. And that final quote I'm going to give to you at the end of the, the message because that's where we've got to end up. It talks about being thankful in all circumstances and committing all things to prayer. So I just encourage you, if you have not committed yourself to pray, there's easy ways to do that. We've created a space in the church to do that. You can come Sunday mornings, 9.30 to 10.15 is the time to come and pray. Every Monday through Friday from 6 to 7, you can come out and pray. Or you can just even come while the office is open because then the prayer room is open. Monday through Friday, 8.30 to 5. And let me say this. It doesn't matter where you pray. It doesn't matter when you pray. It simply matters that you pray. Commit yourself to prayer. We've got to be a people of prayer. If you want to see our land healed, it starts with humbling yourself and seeking his face in prayer. And healing depends on God's people turning away from all evil. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And now this is where it gets really tough. You know, we're quick to point out the sins of society, but slow to acknowledge evil in the church. Something wrong with the church when we tolerate the three G's, greed, gossip, and gluttony, and pretend that they aren't sin. When we refuse to resolve conflict according to God's instructions or give according to God's commands. We see Christian leaders on every level with their sins paraded before a cynical society. To turn from your wicked ways means to change direction, to do a 180. You no longer want to even be enticed by it. You want to turn and run the opposite direction. If we're going to clean up America, we need to start by cleaning up the church we really want God to heal our land, we must first get to the place where we acknowledge our own need for spiritual healing. We need to make a turnaround. Basically, we need to show up in society as the church. America needs to know who the church really is, the spotless bride that Jesus died for. And I've been wondering for some time now, asking myself <coughs> the question. <coughs> I'm grab that water shell. Thanks. Where did the church in America go? Where's the church? I ask the question because as you look around our nation, you see a church on almost every street corner, but where are God's people in that church? Where do you see them out in community being his people, his light, his presence that changes a nation? Last June, as we had arrived back from Jerusalem, we were driving through Springfield, and our eight-year-old son chimed in from the back. He'd just been in the U.S. a couple of days. He said, man, there's a lot of churches here meaning in America. Our eight-year-old who had grown up in Sudan and East Jerusalem wasn't used to seeing a church on every corner. We have church buildings, but where 
are God's people? Where is the church? And the longer I live in America, we've been back for 16 months now, that question causes my spirit to be provoked as I look around and wonder, where are God's people? And here's why, because I can tell you where they are. I can tell you where the church is. They're yelling and getting excited at sporting events and concerts and then coming to church on a Sunday morning, unengaged, unchanged, unexcited about a God who's worthy of all of our praise. They're sleeping in, catching up on homework or going to the lake instead of making church attendance and being together in community a priority. They've missed the value and need of having godly peer pressure in their lives. They're binging on Ben and Jerry's and seasons of TV shows on Netflix instead of spending time in fasting and prayer. They're maintaining the same lack of sexual purity as the world we live in instead of trusting God's word, knowing he desires the best for our lives and has set out guidelines to help us avoid the unnecessary hurt and anguish that comes with sex outside the marriage covenant. They're fighting with one another comfortable living in strained relationships instead of resolving conflict in a manner that pleases God. They're pursuing the American dream, concerned with the house they live in, the car they drive, the clothes on their back, instead of making the name of Jesus famous to the ends of the earth. They're advancing their careers, setting up retirement accounts to ensure they never have to live by faith again. God heal our land, and God start right here. And you might be okay to think about the church turning from its wicked ways. But let's get personal. It starts with you. And it starts with me. God says, if my people, that's us, put your name in there. If Zach Maddox, who is called by my name, will humble himself and pray and seek my face and turn from his wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive his sin, and I will heal the land he's living in. I'm not going to identify your wicked ways for you. You know the areas where you are not following him, where you are not pleasing him. What do you need to change? What areas of your life are not pleasing to God? If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. If we do that in response to our humility, our worship, our commitment, and our prayers. God says, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And I think based on the word that was given this morning, some of you need to understand that. If you will do these things, you can look and say, I'm standing blameless before a holy God. Isn't that wonderful that our worship, our prayer, our repentance, as we give this to God, he leads us to a place where he forgives our sin. And as we humble ourselves before a mighty God, seeking his face in prayer, acknowledging that all power, all authority, and all answers are found in him, we are forgiven, and look what happens. We arrive at our goal, what we've been hoping for, what we've been trying to accomplish through human means, what we're hoping to elect someone to do for us. The goal is accomplished by God. The church turns to him, you turn to him, I turn to him, and then he heals our land. That's what we want. Desire isn't the issue. The question is, are we willing to follow God's plan? Or do we want to keep trying to accomplish it our way, which hasn't really worked, in case you haven't been watching the news? Do you really want to see America healed so much that you're willing to humble yourself and worship and repent and pray? That's what it takes. If we humble ourselves, 
Pray, seek him, and turn from evil. God will heal our land. If the Bible is true, and it is, then if God's people will do this, and if God's people will pray that way, then we will see our nation healed. I invite everybody to bow their heads here this morning, because we're going to take time to to close in prayer. We're going to pray for our nation. But before we can even go there, I need to pray with you. I need to see where you're at with God. Because it starts with repentance in our lives. And I'm going to tell you this morning, I'm not going to call people to the forward. I'm not looking to embarrass you. But what I want you to find today is freedom that only Jesus can give you. I don't want you living in the bondage of sin anymore. For us to see our land healed, we first have to turn from everything that's evil in our lives. And so I'm just going to take a moment to pray with you about that. But I'd like you to take that step to say, I'm going to raise my hand and say, I've got things in my life that are not right, but I want to do a 180. I want to run the other direction. I want to be a part of the healing of this land because it starts with you. It starts with me. So if that's you this morning, you'd say, Pastor, I've got things I've got to get right. I'm going to commit it to him today. Simply raise your hand. Thank you in the front row. We've got many all over the sanctuary. Just raise your hand and we're just going to pray together over that because we've got to start there before we can pray for our country. Anybody else up in the balcony? Just say, Pastor, I need prayer this morning. I need things. I've got things that, that I need to get right before God. I see those hands. Let's pray. Oh, God, forgive us. Forgive us for thinking that we have the answers. We don't. Forgive us for thinking that human systems can, can create changes in human hearts, but it can't. God, we just repent before you. We just ask, Father, that if there are things in our lives that are not right with you, that have not aligned with you, Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would bring conviction, not for the purpose of shame, but, Lord, so that you can rid us of shame. Heavenly Father, we just pray for each and every one that raised their hand here this morning. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would fill them with your love, that you would remove shame from their lives. God, as they are committing themselves to say, I want to turn to you, God, and no longer commit myself to things that are not pleasing to you. I just pray that you would honor that request today, that you would give them strength to live in your name. Lord, give them strength to to walk in your ways. Lord, you tell us that you won't tempt us beyond what we have opportunity to get ourselves out of. And so, Lord, I pray that you would make clear as opportunity for sin comes into our lives, what it is the escape is from it. God, I pray that that would be clear as as we encounter challenges in our life. We know we will, but Lord, may we keep our eyes fixed on you. May we no longer look to things in this world. May we no longer look to leaders that this world puts before us to understand that our solution isn't with them, but Lord, our solution's with you. And you give us the answer. So Lord, may we respond to your answer. May we be committed to humbling ourselves. May we be committed to praying and seeking your face. May we be committed to turning away from all evil. Paul says, I die daily, and that's what's required. May we daily commit ourselves to you, not just this moment, but Lord, may we each and every day take a step at a time and walk closer and closer to you. Heal our land. Heal our land, Jesus. As we turn to you, as we align with you, fulfill that promise, O God, we ask and pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. The way we're going to close today is we're going to close by getting into groups of three or four. And we're just going to pray for our nation. I'm going to give you some prayer points. I don't want to just talk about our land being healed. I want to pray and ask God, heal it. That this is our mission. So here's 
what I'd like us to do. The writer of Proverbs shares this. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. I want to share some confidence with you in how God has all things in his hands. You know, on one occasion, the Lord turned the heart of the king of Assyria, so he actually aided Israel in the construction of the temple. If you were here when Jeff Hartensfeld spoke, he talked about how he met with this man who owned the mall, was godless, and he paid for a church to be built. This is what God does as we commit ourselves to prayer. On another occasion, he stirred the heart of Cyrus to release the Jews to return to Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar was considered to be the mightiest king of his generation, but God humbled him and put him in detention for seven years. God controls the leaders in our world. We read in Psalm 22:28, For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. When we realize that God influences the hearts of all rulers, we can then choose to pray for them rather than to fret about them. Rather than wringing our hands, we bend our knees, we choose prayer over despair. This needs to be our response. Jeremiah did this. He was the prophet to Israel during one of the darkest periods of rebellion. He's called the weeping prophet because he was one. He intercessed for the nation. He wept at the condition of the people and the depravity of their faith. And this is the calling of the church. We should be praying for our country. He was so distraught that one of his books was entitled Lamentations. But then he considered the work of God. Here's what he writes. So he's a weeping prophet. He's crying out for his nation. But then he turns his eyes to the Lord. And this is what he says. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. New every morning. Isn't it amazing? We sing this song, but I don't think we understand the context. This is Jeremiah saying, God, our land is in terrible, terrible straits, but God, you are still on your throne and your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So let's imitate Jeremiah lift up our eyes, dare to believe that good things will happen, dare to believe that God was speaking to us when he said, and everything God works for the good of those who love him. And this is why the last scripture that you'll see in our prayer room is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. This is the mandate of the church right here. Always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So we're gonna take a few moments to pray over our nation. So I'm going to have you stand and get into groups of three or four. There's going to be prayer points, and we're going to pray those scriptures of God bring a revival to America, which is simply God draw hearts back to you, Uh, the church, God's people, that they would humble themselves, pray, and turn from all evil. We need to see healing in the church so that we can see healing in our land, that we would enjoy the peace that only he can bring as we do this. The ugliness of racism and hate would stop, that he would guide the hearts and minds of our government leaders. This is what God does. And that his church would always be joyful, never stop praying, and be thankful in all circumstances. So if you can get together with three, four, five people, just don't pray alone. Pray with a group of people. Whether you pray each individually, whether you have one person pray for your whole group, it doesn't matter how you pray, but let's pray. And if some of you would like to put your hands on the U.S. and just pray for our nation, I welcome you to do that as well. So let's take a moment. We're going to take about 10 minutes and pray here. So let's pray.